Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. They don't need to learn 10 languages. They just need to learn their own self. How about learn your own inner language? We didn't live like this, where we learn Russian and Chinese and Turkish and Arabic and Hindi. No, we just learn like to talk to the next door neighbor. How about that? <laughs> and just be okay. And I mean, no harm in learning other languages, but yeah. I think we do it with this agenda and this delusion that you will be better a better human if you speak 10 languages. I know you will not be a better human. I'm Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Catrancaya with Dr. Shefali. And we're going to unravel the complexities of mindful parenting, a theme that I particularly enjoy being the mother of two children. Dr. Shefali has received a doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, specializing in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She brings together the best of both worlds for her clients. She is an expert in family dynamics and personal development, teaching courses around the globe. She has written many books, her latest being The Parenting Map. We are very lucky to have uh, Dr. Shefali with us at Harvest today, and uh, we're going to talk about how to empower our children and the parents who raise the children. Uh, you made a wonderful speech today at Harvest, Dr. Shefali. It was uh, funny, deep, and powerful. And it seems like uh, if we want to raise our children properly, we need to get rid of someone. Right. And this someone is the ego. Ego is terrible. Well, it's not terrible. It's natural to have one because it protects us against the pain of not feeling that we could be accepted in childhood. So we create the ego out of survival. So it's not terrible. It's terrible when we act as if we don't have one, when we allow it to rule us without making conscious choices, when we don't recognize it when it shows up in our relationships, when we are seduced by it and we believe it, that's the negative part of it, is our relationship to it is negative. It's not that it is negative. It developed out of our desire to get our needs met. And it is a false self that we created to be seen. But if we had been seen in childhood, then we wouldn't have had this need. How destructive is it in a relationship with a parent and a child, this ego? In the parent-child relationship, the ego shows up in very specific ways. So let me explain. There's a parental ego that's in operation in culture, meaning culture has fed this ego and raised the ego in the parent by making the parent believe that they are always right, that they are in charge. Now they are in charge to some degree, but that they are in complete control, that the children belong to them. So children are their possessions, their ownership. So parents in the world over 
have a very particular ego. Not their fault. It's not our fault. Culture has injected us with this ego, which says you as a parent are right. You shall be obeyed. It's kind of like you are God. And you have every right to create any kind of child you want. And if the child doesn't listen, we're going to tell you that you can do anything to the child that you want. We call it discipline, right? Think about it. We don't discipline anybody, including ourselves, but we discipline the children because children are seen as the parent's possession. And this is a very destructive ego that gets built up because the parent believes it. So the parent's relationship to this toxic ego is as if they have no toxic ego. You understand? So that's the dangerous part. They're not aware. We parents are not aware that we even have this ego and that it's toxic. We think it's our right to behave like that. What do you include in the ego? Do you include religion, a view from the past and the family traditions? Uh, What do you include in this? So the ego is this idea this false self that I need to be in control first. That's how it started. I need to be in control of getting validation. How can I control how the other person validates my existence? Okay, so that is the basic foundation. From that comes, I will impose on the other person all my beliefs. So if you have 10,000 beliefs, Those are going to be (laughs) your children's beliefs or your partner's beliefs. So it could be your belief in God, your belief in how you should be a woman or a girl, your belief in how you should be a boy, your belief in how you should be successful, how you show up in the world. So you can have 10,000, you can have two. It depends on the person. But the belief is that I get to impose that on my child because that way I feel worthy. I feel valid. That's the dangerous part of it. And you just, you know, so we do it to our children through our traditions, through the God we believe in, where we send them to school, how they should show up in the family, our traditions, our values, our sexuality, our racism. All of that we give to our children with generosity. <laughs> with a <little> package. <laughs> with a package. That's their legacy. And what are the consequences on the children? Well, the consequences are that if they are good children, and they swallow everything like a sponge, then they will never develop their own sense of identity. They will develop their parents' identity, copy-paste, right? A little Mm mini-me. So that child will never discover their own inner knowing. Now, if they are a bad child and they (laughs) fight back, that poor child will be sent to the mental hospital, will be medicated, will be in the principal's office. They will be labeled the bad child and they'll have to deal with that. So either way, it's not good. Okay. And what happens if the parents have two very different egos? Because sometimes you marry someone and um, yes. you don't realize you're going to be very different as a parent yes. and what's happening on the child. Right. So two unconscious egos is, is not a good thing. Even worse, I guess. Yes. Or can he develop a critical thinking on the child? Yeah, it could. If he sees two crazy parents and (laughs) and they both are fighting with each other, maybe that's helpful (laughs) because they're like, hmm. But it's ultimately not a good thing, right? So then people, often parents ask me, well, what if only I'm conscious? And what if my partner is not? And I say, at least you're conscious. 
So isn't that amazing? At least one better conscious parent than zero. So I always say, it's okay. You don't need your partner to wake up. You can begin to wake up and be a different safe harbor for your child. Better than two unconscious parents. Yeah, but then the relationship, I guess, in the couple is going to be tough. Then it's going to be a problem in the relationship. I always tell people who come <laughs> to my courses, this is the, the fine print. Yeah. Be careful. Your relationship may suffer. Yeah. If you wake up and your partner doesn't, it's going to probably cause some problems. So can we talk about the steps to be a conscious person? If we want to connect uh, in a more meaningful way with our children, what are the first work to do on ourselves? The first thing takes many years, yes? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a quick thing. Okay. So the first thing is... the is, hardest? Well, yes, it's to, be, to wake up, to say, wow, I've been living unconsciously. Wow, I've been living a pattern. I didn't know it was me, right? That epiphany first takes years and decades. Then what do you do with that awareness? Now what do I do? Okay, now I realize it's me. Now what? Oh, now you begin the journey of, uh, you know, you hire a therapist or a coach or you take courses and you go on a healing journey to understand your patterns, to see them and to break them. Now, you don't have to wait till you're completely healed to have children because there's no such thing yeah. as being completely healed. But you want to try to at least do some work while you're raising them and not wait till they suffer for you to change. Which practice does it uh, involve? It involves the practice of awareness. Can I be aware of how I'm acting with my child? Can I be aware of my patterns? Can I be aware of my inner voice? So awareness is the practice and awareness is something that we need to cultivate. It's not something we're born with. We have to cultivate through meditation, through journaling, through talking to a coach, you have to develop this third eye to observe yourself. And most of us don't have this awareness of ourselves. You suggest that we let go of our um, own desire uh, for control and uh, perfectionism. What are the steps for that also? The step really can be taken when you see that your control and perfectionism is killing your joy. Mm -hmm is killing your child's joy. You're not fighting. You're in conflict. Why would you continue that? But you have to first be aware that your perfectionism, your control is doing that because most of us blame the children. So we keep yelling at the children, but we don't see our co-creation in that. So perfectionism and control is the biggest killer of joy. There's no joy when you're trying to be perfect. Is there a way to develop empathy to the children? The way to develop empathy with our children is to have empathy for ourselves. The reason we don't have empathy for our children. So typically, right, I'm talking typically, we say men or males have less empathy, right? Yeah. And females have more. Well, there's a reason for that. We're wired differently and we're conditioned differently. So males typically are already wired to be more aggressive and compartmentalized. That's their biological wiring. But they're conditioned by culture, to detach from their feelings. Males are not typically conditioned to cry, to be in touch with their feelings. So because they are not in touch with their feelings, it's very hard for them to be in touch with a child's feelings or a female's feelings. 
females are more conditioned to be in touch with our feelings. We are allowed to cry. So because we are in touch with our feelings, we're more empathic. Plus we're wired to be more connected as well. So the way to develop empathy really is to have empathy for ourselves. And that's why I say to parents, you will realize that you are harming your child only when you get in touch with how you were harmed as a child. So how do you realize how you were harmed uh, by your children? Because usually, most of the time, not always, um, sometimes it can happen. Like, uh, oh, I have an exceptional relationship with my parents. I love them. And you, you would feel a bit guilty to question them. Even. Yes, yes. We all, I say, have this naive idealism about our childhood. Oh, my childhood was amazing. My parents really loved me. Yes, that's true. And there's another story. And we need to go into the depths of how we were conditioned, how we were brainwashed. Even if we were with the most loving parents, we were brainwashed and we were disconnected from our inner truth. And we almost feel like we are being ungrateful to our parents or so evil to, to discover parts of our childhood that were not so conscious. That's okay. It's okay to tell the truth about your childhood. There's no need to protect our parents. We're not being evil or ungrateful or revengeful if we talk about the truth of our childhood or about culture. You know, it's like in, in the U.S. when the U.S. citizens didn't want to go to war in Iraq, the government said we were not being patriotic. It's like that. No, we're just being critical. And being critical thinkers is not the same as criticizing. It's just being critical, having critical thinking. Uh, but we don't want critical thinkers because that means we have to look at ourselves. It's okay to look at our childhood and be critical of the way we were raised without being criticizing. We're not shaming our parents. We're not blaming our parents. They were raised in the same way. So there's nobody to blame, but there's a lot to understand. And we owe it to ourselves to understand, right? The other day I wrote to my mother, I said, you were the best mother and hmm. yeah, I can never be like you because she was, she was, she is phenomenal. But then I criti crit was critical um, and I said, <laughs> okay. I'm not criticizing you, but you didn't teach me these things. And I told her, thanks to you, I've had a hard time. And so she was like, it's okay to have a little hard time. It's okay. <laughs> so she was funny about it and she yeah. was, and it's right. I cannot yeah. have a perfect, there's no such thing. I will have some holes in my development and it's up to me to develop that. So I did, I told her I'm developing myself and I'll raise my daughter differently. So every generation has to do slightly better. That's all we can do. What do you think of uh, active listening? How can you put that in place with the uh, children? Yes, it would be lovely if we uh, could listen to our children. That active listening can only occur in any relationship where you believe there is something to listen to. You believe the other person can teach me something. With children, we don't believe they have anything to teach us. <laughs> Only we have to teach them. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't listen to our children. And in all my books, I write that children are our greatest awakeners because they are magnificent. That's true, yeah. They are magnificent at being pure, yeah. unconditioned. They tell it like it is. They are in the moment. They are not about a facade or a ma mask. They don't care how they look. They are amazing. But the, the, they're only amazing for a few, like six, seven years, because then they get conditioned. So if we can learn from them when they are pure, 
wow, we will change our lives. I changed my life because of my child. But most of us don't listen. We spend the first six years training them to be adults like us and conditioned like us. To be in the flow with children, we should understand each child's essence for Dr. Shefali. One is an introvert, the other one can handle competition. During harvest, she shared her parenting journey, emphasizing her shift from traditional authoritarian parenting to a more conscious and mindful approach. She realized the importance of understanding a child's emotion and experiences, valuing their individuality and fostering a deep emotional connection. How did your child ma made you change? Because you were not like this before? No, I thought I was, but I really wasn't. I was <laughs> very controlling. I had an agenda and I didn't think I was controlling. You know, that's the thing. I was a meditator. I was a, uh, learning psychology. I thought I was like going to be the best parent. And I ended up being an average controlling parent. And it up upset me because I didn't expect it. I didn't expect myself to be so full of ego, yeah. but that was my wake up call. And my child showed, I allowed my child to lead the way to show me where I was still in ego. But see, I was willing. Most parents are not willing to let the child teach yeah. them. I looked in the mirror that my child reflected back and I saw my shadow. But most people don't look at children as a mirror. They just look at the child as a puppet. What's a sign young child, four, year, four years old child, is being uh, repressed or controlled? A very good child, typically, yes, is a controlled child. Okay. Children should not be very good. You know, like the, young, the, the youngest yeah. prince of uh, Prince William and Kate, have you seen him? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, how, that's a normal, healthy child. And I'm not saying okay. the others are not normal or yeah, healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying when we try to raise these, you know, little dolls and soldiers, it's not a good thing. We want some life and children are, should be natural and spontaneous and they shouldn't be in the suit and, you know, in this ballerina outfit. Children should be who children are. Children by nature are messy, untidy. They're kind of lazy. They, are, they protest. They're naughty. They're a little sneaky. They're up to mischief. Then they hide it. Then they lie. They, 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 that's their cute spirit. <laughs> they're dirty. Okay. They want to play. They don't want to go to bed. They don't want to sit. They don't want to listen because they're, they're wild. That's their nature, but that's their beauty. And we should allow them to stay wild as long as we can. But we still need to raise them, to educate them, uh, to give them chances to be able to integrate in the society. Yes, no? they will. They will. They, but you can still, the degree that we tame them is too much. They can still have a lot of wild and still be okay in society. Okay. Because This, if you don't teach a child uh, the manners, the table manners, for yes, example, yes. he will never, uh, probably yes. never pick yes. up by you are, himself. You are French, so yeah. you are very into your table manners. Yeah. But it's really not that important, really. It's just what the child is going to eat the whole pineapple. No, they, eventually they learn, right? All children learn to go to the bathroom. All children learn to go to sleep. All children learn how to eat in a civilized way but when they are children we allow them to be a little wild we, we are too quick 
to tame them. And we're quick to tame them because we want control. It's not because we want them to be okay. It's because we are so terrified of the wild. That's true that uh, you often uh, controlling your children with the best intentions. Sometimes well, you think you have a good intentions yes. because you want them to be super smart, to learn uh, Chinese, to be the best at math, yes. at math and everything because you think later yes. they will say thank But you. But it's coming thank from you. our agenda because we haven't yet awakened to the fact that all this can be a whole load of crap. Like they don't need to learn 10 languages. They just need to learn their own self. How about learn your own inner language? We didn't live like this, where we learn Russian and Chinese and Turkish and Arabic and Hindi. No, we just learn like to talk to the next door neighbor. How about that? <laughs> and just be okay. And I mean, no uh, harm in learning other languages, but yeah. I think we do it with this agenda and this delusion that you will be better, a better human if you speak 10 languages. And no, you will not be a better human. Yeah, or you want to give more chances. You want But them to have more chances what? later. For what? Uh, for choosing their job, their... Oh, uh, no. no. Yeah, but how much choice? The problem is we have too much choice. Yeah, that's... Yeah. We can... We, we've, <laughs> we've overcomplicated life because we are filled with inner lack. So we want to be amazing with what we think is amazing. And it's only because we're not okay with who we are. We don't need all this extra. We've created such complications. But listen, if we're an adult and creating complications, no problem. Do it to yourself. Don't do it in the sacred window of life called childhood. The sacred window, we only have one sacred window and that's childhood. And we are robbing our children of childhood to make sure that they will be happy in adulthood, but they're miserable in childhood. But I find it very difficult in a very competitive world to let go, to let them free right. and go. It's and, only yeah. when the parent is awakened to realize that this competitive world is a world of bullshit. But you don't, yeah. you don't buy into it. You cannot subscribe to it. You cannot play the game. Or you play the game knowing it's a game. But don't be yeah. seduced that this is the only way. But that's why we've ruined our world because we think that is the only way. That is not the only way. You don't have to raise a superstar in the, in the traditional way. You raise a child who knows who it is they are and who is comfortable in their skin. And from that, that child can be the genius or a superstar or, a, you know, a gardener in their own garden or raising fruit. Yeah. What are we, what or are we chasing? Also be average, no? Or you mentioned Be being, average. Yeah. That's okay to yes. be average. Yeah. But we all are average. <laughs> we think yeah. if we have money, we're not average. We are very average. All the presidents are average. <laughs> They're just good at one thing, maybe, or they had privilege, or they had luck and opportunity. Doesn't mean that the villager in Guatemala is not as also bright. Yeah, or as yeah, bright yeah. or as... No, we have this illusion that because we have money or because we have status, we are not average. At our core, we're all just average. Yeah. Somebody is extra talented here. Somebody grew up in a wealthy family. Somebody had privilege. I mean, let's not forget the role of privilege in creating yeah, superstars, okay? So most superstars you see today had people who they climbed on. So the villager in Guatemala or in, in, in a village in India may be as bright, as much of potential. They just didn't have the opportunity. But let's not get seduced by what we see on the outside. And when you see your child as a um, passion for something, How do you push him to listen to his own passion, own taste? 
Yes. Like if you like something yes. or your child, you see she's very good at painting or she's not amazing, but she likes it and she spends quite some right. time into uh, painting. Yes. You so see, the thing is, when we say we want to allow our children to follow their passion, we are lying because what we really want is them to become amazing at the passion yeah. in the real world. Yeah. So the child True. is happy dancing at home, but no, we'll put them in a class. The child is happy painting at home, but we'll send them to the museum to mm -hmm. take classes with some fancy painter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tiger we, Mama, yeah. Yeah, we have yeah. to be careful. Mm -hmm. Most of the time we rob our children of their passion because we structure the passion into competition. Yeah. Do you think there's too much pressure? Like find your passion. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Find your passion, mm -hmm. which really means can you be good at something? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you can be successful. Right. Yeah. We're not we're not honest about what are we scared about? Being average, yeah. being ordinary. We think that that means we are insignificant because at our core, we're not okay just being okay. We were never given the message, just be average, just be a human having a lovely human experience. That feels like we are dying, like we are nothing. Yeah. So we all want the trinkets and the prizes and the certificates and the fancy title. It's really sad. And the, I guess the social media uh, are not helping at all. Not helping. Neither the parents and would be even worse for the children themselves. Yes. Now it's yeah. not. Now we need followers and we need, you know, millions of likes and hearts. And it's this addiction to need validation. Yeah. And social media is predating. It's preying yeah. on you, yeah. the, the innocent human who is so clueless. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to get more likes. And they don't realize that they're just laughing to the bank on our insecurity. And we are feeding our children and ourselves this idea that we need to become secure through these ways. And we keep feeding it. The only way to become secure is to not follow these ways and to come back home inside that we are good enough as we are. How do you protect uh, your child from uh, social media? Do you have to be firm or? Yes, yeah. you have to not give your child social media till they're, I would say 15, 16, but I know yeah. that's unrealistic, but at least till that's 13, yeah. till 13. Okay, yeah, middle school. Uh, yeah. At least, yeah. nothing, like only the good old TV, you know, okay. watching Tom and Jerry, like we used to do. <laughs> In Kaplankaya, the charismatic Dr. Shefali delivered a compelling speech, shedding light on how our egos can obstruct authentic connections with our children. Her talk was insightful and laced with humor, resonating profoundly with the audience. Attendees found her words relatable, sparking moments of reflection for people raising children, but also individuals considering their relationship with their own parents. I thought she was super interesting and uh, very entertaining and she, you know, the whole thing about the mass that your own ego gets in the way of, you know, educating your children and all that sort of stuff. I thought she said it in a very interesting, entertaining, but deep way. Dr. Shefali is absolutely amazing. I was mesmerized by the way she speaks, by her natural... She's just a natural speaker, but she's also a performer. And, uh, and, and she has that 
true like star presence on stage and the knowledge that she brings combined to how she presents it it's it's hard to say she might have been my favorite speaker as well but I'm such a big fan of Dr. Mark Heim so I'm on the fence but yeah she she blew my mind she helped me understand that the weight that we carry by being children of our parents and by a, a sense of obligation to live up to their standards and we often forget who we are and why we're here and yeah she makes me realize that you know I think that's that's sort of like years of therapy kind of a, kind of a worth so what did Dr. Shefali tell to the attendees of Harvest? What are the first thing you tell to the parents? That they have been told three lies. And the three lies are that they are in control, that they should raise happy children, and that they should raise successful children. These are lies. Okay, why happy children? Successful, we me we mentioned, but why is it a lie to that they have to raise happy children? Because when you have a belief that you are burdened with this responsibility to raise a happy child, you drive the child crazy <laughs> because no one can be happy all the time. And for the most part, children are crying all the time. <laughs> and you don't want to create this uh, idea that you need to chase happiness. It cannot be chased. It's an internal state. It's very fleeting. It comes and goes. So instead of raising happy children, just raise authentic children. Mm. Like stop chasing happiness. It's an illusion. Do you give tips also to how to change your, uh, your partner, soften your partner? You cannot change your partner. You can't even change your child, really. You can only change yourself. So if it doesn't work with your partner, you can try to go for therapy, go for counseling, and you wait and hope that they will follow your lead you become and a maybe they'll follow, yeah. but you cannot change your partner. What's the most frequent uh, question that you have? Uh, How do I change my partner? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, that is number one. What do I do with my partner? And it's hard because when one person awakens and the other person is not working on their issues, on their baggage, there's a separation between the couple. And it's very hard for the one who is awakening to carry the burden, eventually they have to go for counseling and make a decision. Either they awaken together or they have to maybe separate. It's hard to awaken. When one awakens, it's a problem. It's a big problem. But many times the other one will get inspired. Many okay. times the wow. other partner gets inspired and goes, wow, you're eating well, you look so happy. Everyone is like, you're in flow. I want, I want that. <laughs> so then they come on the path, but don't expect them to come on the path. It's 50-50. Yeah, yes. okay. Can you explain how conscious parenting is uh, different from positive education? When we talk about positive parenting, there is still the idea that you're doing it for a result. Mm -hmm. I'll be positive. I'll say nice things. So then I get my child to listen. So then I get my child to follow. Okay. So I can control my child. Conscious parenting is about doing away with that delusion of control. You can actually not be that positive 
if you're in a bad mood, you don't have to fake it. It's much deeper because it's not about a goal. It's not about being positive because that's the new thing. It's about being authentic, about being real, and about understanding you have no control. Positive parenting is still about, I'll be positive, and then you'll do this back for me. Are there uh, some cultures or countries that are more naturally conscious than others? I think cultures where families spend time with their children, where this is not going to be popular, but where the mother is more available. Mm -hmm. Or the father, but you know, fathers are not that available yeah, all over the general, world, yeah, generally. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm talking about the yeah. mother, but I don't want all the women to be upset with me, Yeah, <laughs> you know. But it's a reality where the child had an available, present, connected, maternal figure. It could be from the father, it could be the grandfather. The maternal figure mm -hmm. is what the child needs. I mean, that is just basic biology and our connection to the mother. It could be a father doing the mothering, but yeah. it needs to be a mother figure, a maternal caregiver who's consistent, who's present, who's connected. Every child needs that. Sorry. I mean, I didn't have a great career while my daughter was uh, in her early years. I had to give that up yeah. in order to give her what she needed. Until what age it is the most important? At least the first eight, nine years, you know? Okay, seven. 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 Let's say seven. Let's okay. Say seven. <laughs> But you have to be present. Yeah. Now, doesn't mean you cannot have a grandmother next to you. Of course. Mm -hmm. The more women, the better. Yeah. And I say women because we typically are the more nurturing. That's all. Okay. Not that fathers should not be nurturing. We need more nurturing figures. Let me not say women or men. Just more okay. nurturing figures. The more, the better. The, the mother doesn't have to do it all. Can we have the um, feeling that children raised with um, two positive or lenient uh, attitude is um, annoying for the society and the other. Let's say you're on a plane and uh, you have a small child uh, who wants to play, who wants to be free. You know, as a mom, like uh, I think it happened to every mom, that everybody, you're having bad looks <laughs> in the plane from everybody. And yes. the child is annoying. Like uh, it can be like, uh, yeah, our uh, culture, our, right. Our culture is child phobic. We don't like children because they are annoying. Yes, they are. <laughs> But we have to be more loving to being annoyed. Like we have to have a more graceful attitude to allowing children to be annoying. They are annoying. What to do? They have no control over their emotions. So when we give the, that mother a dirty look, that poor mother, I have received dirty looks, right? <laughs> Same, and, I've, yeah. and I've given dirty looks. <laughs> But it's not, it's not. But now I have compassion. So when mm -hmm. I see the mother struggling, I go, it's okay. Let the yeah. baby cry. It's okay. You, because I can see the mother can't control the baby. Mm, yeah. And as a culture, we need to be more compassionate and more benevolent. We're very, you know, we don't like noise and we want privacy and we want quiet because we're becoming increasingly intolerant mm -hmm. of That's any true. inconvenience as a culture, as a world culture. And we don't allow children to be children. Yeah. I mean, children are children and they cry. Where you raise, you would say, in a <laughs> conscious environment. Yourself? I was very lucky to have a very present, connected mother. And she was so present and generous and patient and tolerant when I was naughty and when I was, you know, a monster. She was patient. And that gave me a very calm inner 
stable foundation that allowed me to be kind to myself. I was barely punished and I was a monster <laughs> and I was barely punished, but she raised me with benevolence yeah. and grace and patience. But what that does is it allows the child to have that attitude towards themselves. Now I can give it to others, but because she gave it to me and I had it to myself. So I give it to others. And most of us were raised with punishment and hitting. And so we developed that hatred to ourselves. That's why we have hatred to others. A lot of your principles uh, seem to be very compatible with uh, Buddhism. Uh, is it uh, one of your uh, inspirations? Yes. I don't like to talk about any ism. I don't like to say that I'm, I'm any one thing. But what the Buddha taught in many ways uh, are the foundation of my teaching. Yes. I'm going to end up with a quick questions. Some will be silly, some uh, even more silly. Okay, <laughs> I like it. I'm working from home. What are the keys to manage to be productive and answer to my children's needs at the same time? You'll have to stay up at night when they sleep. You'll have to be flexible because children need you when they need you. So you have to balance it, but there's no such thing as balance. I have a lot of beautiful and expensive outfits for my child so she can look good on the pictures that she will look at uh, later, but she's only, she only wants uh, to hang out with Disney clothes. Should I let go or negotiate? <laughs> This is really silly. <laughs> let go and realize that you have a problem <laughs> with, <laughs> with your image and you go wear the fancy clothes because you need it and your child doesn't need it. I don't know how to say no. I always end up saying, okay, for this time, is it bad? Yeah, I was that parent. I had really bad boundaries. It's not bad, but it's an invitation for you to, to realize that you have a hard time saying no. And many women who are super empathic women who lack boundaries uh, have a hard time saying no. Um, and they need to realize it's not because they're being nice. It's because they have a hard time saying no. <laughs> and they are fixers. They're typically parents who are fixers. And they need, I talk about different styles and the fixer parent is somebody who has a hard time saying no and they want to solve the problem and give in and say yes and be a people pleaser. So that parent needs to look at that style. So I, I saw myself when I was a parent. I, I, my daughter by the age of four or five, I remember her telling her best friend, don't worry, don't worry. My mother's saying no now, but we just keep asking. She's going to say yes. She figured me out. <laughs> And she, even till today, she goes, mom, you know, you're going to say yes. So why are you even pretending to say no? And I'm like, I'm going to say no. I always give in because I'm, I have terrible boundaries, but I know that about myself and I laugh at myself and uh, I work on it. So it's an opportunity to see your issues. You Also, the person who never says yes has a problem too. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a play. You, you figure yourself out. We'll end up with the question I'm asking to everybody. It's a harvest of the day. If there is one thing that gives you hope, what is it? There's no need for hope. Hope is about the future. And anytime I, I, I think about the future, I remove myself from the present. So I don't want to live in hope or optimism or the future. I want to live here. So hope is about hoping for the future. I hope. 
Now, I know we all say it, and that's a lovely thing to say, um, but it has no bearing on anything because it's a crapshoot. So I'd rather just go, I, I need to be here now and be awake in the present moment, and this is my, my mission. And when I go into hope, I go into wishful thinking, and that takes me away from the present moment. You know, but if I was to have a hope, right, let's go with the theme of hope. It's, I hope people realize that they are on a trajectory of devastation, of, of destruction, of disconnection. I hope people will understand that they have enough and they are enough and they don't need more. I hope that people will press the stop button and stop it, stop everything. We have enough. We are going too far down the other side of hope and progress. Okay. We, have, we are going too far down. Too much. Yeah, okay. too much, too much. Yeah. Dr. Shefali, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. It was you. a pleasure to have you and um, enjoy uh, Harvest. Of course, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today and exploring Dr. Shefali's profound insights on conscious parenting. It's a reminder that our ego often obstructs genuine connections with our children. If you found this episode enlightening, consider leaving a positive review and connecting with us on Instagram at Harvest Series. You can catch our podcast episodes on youtube.com slash Harvest Series as well. Stay tuned for our next episode, Five Minutes with Lisa de Narvaez, where she'll share valuable tips on dispelling negative energies. Until next time...